Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. Okay, so I wanted to quick share a story with you. This is not my story. Uh, this is a story from my buddy, Matt, who I used to work with at San Jose Unified. Great guy. Fantastic. And this is his story, so I can't really attest to it. We're hearing it now third hand from, from me. You, you, you weren't there. I wasn't there. I cannot attest to the veracity of it, but it's a fun story. So Matt grew up in Walnut Creek, and every summer he would go to a, a football camp. He was a football player. He would go to a football camp run by NFL legend and Stanford alumni, John Elway. It was held at the campus of Stanford University by John Elway, the NFL great. And uh, at the end of each day, after a long day of drills and practice and instruction, one of the highlights for the for the young men who would attend this, this football camp was that John Elway would spend about half an hour after practice and he would just take a football, you grab a football, throw it to him, and then go out for a route, and he would throw you a pass, and you'd get to say, I caught a pass from John Elway. Well, at least you hope that you catch it. And he would do that for half an hour until everyone would go through the line. Sometimes you go through multiple times just playing catch with the kids, and it was really cool. So that was a really awesome thing that John Elway did. But there was this one young man who was uh, way too big for his britches. And he began talking smack to John Elway. Now, John Elway was renowned for his arm strength. Uh, Sports Illustrated once had a two-page interior spread of just his his right arm, and they were like the most powerful weapon in the world. And it was just this unassuming arm John Elway could throw with incredible velocity. His receivers, who were professional athletes, often would come into the locker room after the game with little X indentations on their body where the ball had caught them after they had caught it and brought it to their body. Uh, Little Xs from the edge of the football, the tip of the football that had indented into their bodies. That's how strong, that's how fast that's a hard John Elway threw. So this young man starts talking smack to John Elway. You're nothing. You, you don't have any velocity. You're old. I have freshman quarterback who threw harder than you. Now, of course, at this point, you and I both know something this young man didn't, which is John Elway was not going all out in these drills. There's no way he's going to throw as hard as he would to a 16-year-old kid that he would to a professional athlete in the middle of a game. That's absurd. But... This guy wouldn't shut up. He kept talking smack to John Elway, and all the kids were like, what are you doing? You're stupid. But he kept talking smack. Well, eventually, he gets in the line. He says something, you're old. You've lost it. You never had it. Um, you're a has-been, you know, something like that. And as the young man went out for his route, John Elway planted his feet, twisted his hips, cocked his arm, and got ready to throw a full-velocity ball to this young man just to show him, like, what he was really capable of, just to basically to shut him up. Now, as he's about to do that, his assistant coach, who's right behind him, just says one simple word. He just goes, don't. And John Elway, realizing it's probably not a good idea, just relents at the last minute and lets up and sails the ball way over the young man's head so it's an uncatchable pass. Uh, Throws it full velocity, but just throws it really high. Well, this young man was actually quite a gifted athlete. And as he jumps up, the ball actually sails past his hands and hits his hands um, as it goes over him. Uh, John Elway didn't, uh, I think, expect him to be able to jump that high. And as the story goes, as Matt told it to me, as the legend goes, the ball actually broke three of that young man's fingers. That's how hard John Elway threw. Now, I say all this because... Just as that young man was being braggadocious and saying, you're nothing, you're nothing, it was kind of asking for a sign that this that John Elway was as strong as he said he was, despite the fact that there was oodles of evidence in the NFL. That's kind of the way that the Pharisees are behaving right now in Matthew chapter 12 toward Jesus. They have so much evidence that Jesus is something more than just an average, ordinary human. There's miracle after miracle after miracle, and yet they still come to him and say, hey, can you provide us a sign? They don't want a sign. 
That's not what's going on here. And so Jesus refuses. In fact, he says, actually, here's the sign I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. Uh, Just as Jonah, the prophet, um, had his whole ministry and his message authenticated because he was thrown overboard in the middle of a storm in the middle of the Mediterranean. He was as good as dead. And God rescued him from certain death using a giant whale or fish and then delivered him into uh, onto dry land. And that miracle showed that, that Jonah really was God's man. He was God's messenger, and his message was authenticated by God because of that miracle. In the same way, Jesus is going to be miraculously rescued from certain death. In this case, he actually is going to be killed. Jesus said, I'm going to be in the heart of the earth for three days. He's going to be dead for three days, and he's going to be resurrected. Jesus is pointing to his resurrection as an authenticating aspect of who he says he is, that he is actually God's man, and that his message is God's message. That's the sign the Pharisees are going to get. Now, it's not going to come to much later. That's what we are here to talk about. So I've got Finney Abraham here in the studio. We're going to talk about that. We're going to also talk about the resurrection. We're going to talk about what it means. We're also going to talk about the fascinating book of Jonah, a very small book in the Old Testament, a very weird book, but a, and, and a hilarious one, actually, if you think about it. So Finney and I are going to get into that. And so like Jonah, I guess let's dive right in. Actually, he was thrown. He didn't really dive. I mean, he might have dived. I don't know how they threw him off. They could have thrown him off and he did like a half gainer. And then I, it's hard to say. I don't think Jewish people were seafaring people, so he probably just plopped, like belly flop, maybe cannonballed. It's hard to say. Anyway, let's get into it. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Afterword. Dave Tish here. I'm live with Finney Abraham. Finney, hey. Hello. So, Finney, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, Tell people what you do here around Westgate Church, because not everyone might know what your role is. Yeah, I'm the local compassion pastor. I do everything outside the walls of a church, so work with local government, nonprofits, and churches to serve our city in the name of Jesus. Oh, that's fantastic. It is fun. Yes. My work is if I am in the office, I'm not really working. Oh, it's that fun for you. It's that fun. You would say that your job is that fulfilling? It's almost not like work? No, if I'm sitting in the office, it's not really working. (laughs) It's supposed to be outside. Oh, yeah. Hey, also, this is the first time. I don't know if you know this. Oh, my gosh. Special. This it's, is special. This edition. is special. This is the first ever. Yes. We are actually recording this yes. uh, via cameras. Look at that. Uh, because that. all of our data and metrics tell us that the younger generations, the Gen Zs and millennials and such, they watch podcasts on YouTube. They want to see the faces. Uh, it makes no sense. I guess it's a Joe Rogan thing. I don't know. We're yeah. about as big as Joe Rogan. I don't know if you know that. We're. Yeah. I mean, he's a little bit more viewers and listeners that's our competition that uh, that's pretty much who we're going for hmm. <laughs> well, we can get there so we're actually going to be putting this up on youtube on our youtube channel wow. uh which doesn't seem very interesting to me but i only consume podcasts when i'm when i'm in the car or on a hike or bike riding what about you how do you oh you're you're older you're, oh, you're wow, older thank generation you. oh thank you finney that <laughs> makes me feel good in my heart <laughs> yeah how do you consume them i i think so when i am having dinner Really? Yeah. Not a good thing. <laughs> With not your family? A, uh, family. Well, see, here's the thing. Um, this is not something that y'all should follow. Uh, I, we, I have three kids under three. You do. They're loud. And so when we have dinner with all of them, obviously I'm involved in talking and all of that. But, um, at, you know, after feeding the kids, me and Susan want our own our own time. Of course you do. No no, no other voices. Of course. I don't want to hear her. No. Nope. She, she doesn't want to hear me. Oh, yeah, I we, see. We just want oh, you need her. your own space. Yeah. Because you have two, two, you have a pair of twins. I do. 
And they are three? No. No. They're, they're going to be two years old next month. Okay. and But then your son is three something. Three and a half. So that's a lot of kids under five. <laughs> under under three and a half. That's a, yes. That's a lot of kids <laughs> under three and a half. Yeah. So uh, you're just, you kind of, you're like, listen, this is our time. And, and that's when you listen to podcasts. Yeah, that's what I do. Do you watch them on YouTube? I do. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Can I tell you a fun story? Please. <laughs> that didn't sound very enthusiastic. No, let's do it. Well, are you going to be the judge of how fun it is? Is that what you're saying? I, no, you're the funniest guy in Westgate mm. or in San Jose, maybe. <laughs> Thank you. Santa Clara County. Yes, I think that's probably true. So I had uh, I spoke at the Saratoga campus uh, last week at the 4 p.m. Mm. Um, so I spoke at South Hills in the morning and then went over there to the 4 p.m. Very fun. If you're out there and you're part of the 4 p.m. service at Saratoga, it was an awesome time being with you. Saw some old friends I hadn't seen in a long time. I haven't probably been over to Saratoga in like a year and a half because mm. almost all the time I'm at my South Hills campus, right? So this woman comes up and I, I didn't recognize her and she's younger and she's like, hey, listen, uh, I think her name was Trish or Tish. I'm not sure which. It'd be funny if it were Tish because my name's Tish. That'd be cool. Trish or Tish. I think it's Trish. And she's like, listen, I just want to say I love the afterward. I really love all the time you put into it. But I had to stop listening. And I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, oh, did I say something stupid or offend her? Because that's that's highly likely I said something Possible. stupid. Yeah. And she's like, no, no, no. I, she works as like a massage therapist and she has clients like right there. She goes, uh, you'd be so funny. I would just start laughing. And it was like the, the clients are like, what do you want? Oh, my God. It's not good to laugh at your clients, you did know. You, did you apologize to her? I did. I said, I'm, I'm so sorry that I'm so funny. I, it, it's, 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 a, it's a gift and a curse, like the Midas touch. I get it. It's like... Um, I, I understand. You know, all comedians are apologizing in our culture. Right <laughs> okay. <now>. It is <laughs> a thing. Let's not get into that. <laughs> Let's not Let's get, not into, get into, that. into that. Okay. Um, we're here to actually talk about something kind of serious. Mm-hmm. And you and I have been stewing on this passage, which is in Matthew 12, for a while. And uh, for the past couple of weeks, is it's really not been that fun to go through. It's like watching people fight. I mm-hmm. think Steve said that last week. Uh, this week, the confrontation with the Pharisees gets even more extreme. And Jesus kind of, uh, they say, hey, give us a sign. Uh, yeah. Prove that you're actually from God. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is like, no. And then he says, actually, I am going to give you, you're going to get the sign of Jonah. Well, Jesus actually says it's a wicked and an adulterous generation that asks for a sign. Right. So, There's something there. Yeah. Well, because if you think about it, there's other people in the Bible who ask for a sign. Oh, and, signs all over. And God doesn't like blast them. No. Like Abraham asked for a sign yep. with uh, in Genesis 15 with Moses. The, uh, Moses. Um, what, the, uh, Gideon with the fleece. Mm-hmm. Um, even uh, who's the sun stands uh, still? Uh, Joshua. At, you know that's a sign. Yeah, and in the in the Gospel of John, all the miracles are called as signs. It is a sign so that you know who is is, Jesus, the son of God. Yeah, I I read some commentators say that a miracle is like something done in the physical realm among humans, but a sign is like almost like in from heaven. Mm. Like when the dove descends on Jesus at his baptism, that's like a sign. Mm -hmm. Or like Mount Carmel, when the fire comes from heaven uh, with Elijah and the prophets of Baal, that would be a sign. And Jesus is telling here, the biggest Mm -hmm. sign I'm going to give you It is the resurrection. Right, right. So he said, right. And so he says, just as Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days and was like, as good as dead, I'm, I'm going to like come back. So let's talk about the resurrection. And the reason why I talk, I want to talk about this is because Jonah was a prophet and he was sent with a message Mm -hmm. and we'll get into the story because I really want to get into the story of Jonah because it's a really fascinating thing that Jesus is doing, tying this um, Old Testament story into into this. Yeah. Uh, but um, 
he basically Jonah is ratified as a prophet because he's miraculously rescued by God and then spit up on the shore. Yeah. So yeah. it's his message is ratified as being from God because of the miraculous thing that happens. And Jesus is going to be ratified as God's servant, the Messiah as God's son mm-hmm. by his resurrection. So you told a story about something that impacted you. Um, it was a story actually from your, um, your not childhood's too strong a word. It's like adolescence. Like you were, yeah, how old yeah. were you? Like 10, 11, 12, 13, something like that? I was 14 years oh, old. So you're 14. Yeah, so yeah. talk about it. And it's from India where you spent those kind of formative years. Yeah. Because you were born in Dubai. Mm-hmm. Some people don't know your story because you're really international and cosmopolitan. <laughs> how many languages do you speak? I speak like four Indian languages, but that's very common. For four Indian languages, but then you also speak English and... I, I, I love Greek. Okay. So it's not a living language anymore. I mean the biblical Greek, but okay. So anyway, so you're born in Dubai. Mm-hmm. Um, then you move to India in when you were like t- ten. S- ten. Okay, mm-hmm. so you're living in India, and then something happens in that nation that really impacted you. Now, is your family Christian yeah. at this point? Oh yeah, my family. So my you family guys go Christian. back. You guys yeah. are yeah. We we believe we are Saint Thomas Christians. Oh yeah, that's what a lot of Indians. Well, uh-huh. they say that all Indians actually can trace their lineage back to Thomas. Yep. yep. Which is insane. We'll get into Not that. Not all Indians. Most Indian Christians. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So Indian Christians yeah, yeah. link that. Um, yeah, right. It's a thing. Well, I came to faith largely because of a Sri Lankan. Mm. So technically, I'm yes. a Thomas Christian. That's you and I. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're in our faith kind of all both go back to Thomas. Awesome. Not, not crazy. That's crazy. Anyway, go ahead. Continue. Yeah. No, I mean, I thought about this story because this passage also talks about the power of resurrection and resurrection is not just a thing that you just simply believe and just or choose to believe because you're a Christian and just wait till, oh, when I die, probably that'll show up. Resurrection is something that the power of res- resurrection, you live every single day of your life. And so uh, this was a formative story to me. So in 1999, January 22nd, um, I remember taking the newspaper. So that was the only form of news at that time. Now, <laughs> For the young time. people, a newspaper is when they took trees and they <laughs> would make right. them pulp and they would put like print on top of Yeah. Anyway, go That's ahead. Right. So you open up the newspaper in January. Yeah, and uh, I, 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 I saw this very tragic story of a missionary being killed in uh, in the state of Odisha. His name is Graham Staines. Now, why I remember that was, uh, that was probably the first time, my dad is a pastor, uh, that I remember telling him that, oh, wow, you, you can actually get killed for this stuff here. Why don't you tell the story of Graham? Yeah, and, 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 and it really, you know, blew up my mind because I lived in a pretty safe place. Uh, but to think that this kind of stuff could happen in India uh, was, was, was eye-opening to me. So, the, yeah, so this guy, he came from Australia. In 1965, he came to India, and he, he was really struck by, um, you know, he was just loved the people in the small little village in Odisha. And he was helping uh, folks who had leprosy. He had a leprosy uh, hospital. And he just wanted to show the love of Jesus through actions by taking care of lepers. And so he's been doing that for um, uh, almost 20, 30 years. And in 1990, he brings his family, um, his wife, and three little small kids, uh, Esther, Philip, and Timothy. And um, yeah, this very fateful day, they, they went to a Christian camp. Um, and they decided to stay there because it was kind of far away. And they were staying in their, in their Jeep, in their car. And some fanatic folks uh, in that community who, who 
accused Grab Stains for conversion, uh, converting people to Christianity, heard that he was uh, he was staying in the car that night, and about fifty of them came. And these are like religious fanatics religious or fanatics. political fanatics. No religious. Fanatics. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, they came and they they you know broke the window, poured gasoline, and ignited in fire and. And they had huge logs and stuff and didn't allow all three of them to come out of the Jeep. And um, oh they were burned alive. Oh and at the end of it, they saw this, the, the bodies of these, uh, the father and the two kids uh, embracing each other. Uh, they died. They died in that country in the name of Jesus for Jesus. And, uh, and the thing that really uh, was in my mind was uh, Gladys Staines, uh, that is Graham's uh, widow, who uh, said... Well, the reason that we came to this country was because of our conviction that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And if he's resurrected from the dead, everything's going to be okay. Wow. And if um, so for my husband and for my kids, uh, things will be fine. But she said the deepest desire that she wanted to see was uh, transformation and repentance of these folks who did it. And so that they can also experience uh, the power of eternal life. That message was a walking sign of the love and compassion of Jesus. And that is still a major conversation, even among non-Christian people in India. The president responded. The prime minister responded. The president of India made of a statement country. about this? That's right. Wow. And how heinous this, this crime was. And, uh, and, and to me that stands as a living, walking sign. So that was a huge deal for you as a young boy. That's like right. you're 14, you're, you're right, yeah. you're trying to find your way. What does it mean to be a Christian? How did it define for you what following Jesus might even look like? Or it just the cost of it or the danger of it, the opposition, the, yeah. the hope? What was it that, yeah, that's a good or question. all of it? I, I do think so. That's the first time as, as a teenager, probably living in a safer area in India, that I realized uh, this could cost you a life. And, yeah. and for me, it was, Dad, this could cost your life. Because <laughs> you were afraid for your dad, who was a pastor. family, yeah. yeah. And I remember my dad telling the same thing, that if Jesus is resurrected from the dead, things are going to be fine. So for me, it was this conviction. Like, if Jesus is, is resurrected from the dead, what does that mean for my daily life? The decisions that I make, the choices that I make, right? The way I talk, I behave. Does it reflect every day uh, this great hope that Christ is resurrected from the dead and everything is going to be different. If he did resurrect from the dead, like, uh, like um, what's the author that we always talk about? C.S. Lewis. He talks about, if, if, if this is real, this is it. If it's not, you're, 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 you should be the most of, you know, should be. Well, pitiful. Paul says that too. Paul right, says yeah, that yeah. Too, yeah. And so if it is real, it should reflect the way we live. And, and I think so the big question to ask is, is it reflecting the ways we live? right here in Silicon Valley. Right. Well, there's two aspects of it. It's so interesting. As you talk about Graham and his example, it, mm -hmm. it's so reminiscent. There's two aspects of it. First, um, the hope that came because of after his death, mm -hmm. like the death is somehow not the end. That That's one aspect of it. But the second is the motivating or the, it's like the, the, uh, the gasoline in the engine of his life, of his, mm -hmm. his heart. And that's the second aspect. It, it reminds me, it's a little reminiscent of Father Damien mm -hmm. and Molokai who went to, for the leper colony. It's a little reminiscent of Mother Teresa mm -hmm. going to Calcutta, helping people die, mm -hmm. like serving the least of these. Like, why would you spend your life mm -hmm. serving these people? And both would have said, 
and they're both sainted, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. because Jesus would. Yeah. You know, it's a... It was a sign. It was showing... Yeah, it that was their directing. lives are like walking yeah. signs about, about God. Yeah, and it was basically Jesus. showing the, this is what God would do, this is what Jesus would do, right? And that's the same thing I see in Jonah. Uh, it's a fascinating book. Everyone in the book of Jonah actually obeys God. Everyone except Jonah. <laughs> the, the wind obeys, the whale obeys, the ocean obeys, the plant obeys, the worm obeys. Everyone obeys except Jonah. The sailors, yeah, <laughs> Nineveh, <laughs> yeah, right. And and God still still uses him. Not only that he was going and te- uh, uh, communicating a message there, he becomes the sign. Like the you're saying that Jonah actually becomes mm-hmm. a symbol of the pursuing God who calls people to repentance right. that he was talking about to Nineveh. Yeah, and I also think as I read the scripture, uh, is I think he was he, he, he even looked different after the whole episode. Uh, well, it, it was probably whale, had bleached skin because right. of the whale uh, acid in the whale's stomach or whatever. Kind of made it easier. Do you say whale or fish? Whale. I, it's, it, was, it was probably a sperm whale, right? I mean... Yeah, it's a large, it has to be a Or maybe it was Megalodon, you know, from that movie with... <laughs> Uh, no, no, probably not. I don't know. Yeah. Great. So anyway, so it, it's it's interesting that the people of Nineveh, it was probably made it a little bit more easier when the person itself became the sign, <coughs> which is the thing I see in Jesus too. Yeah. He don't, not only talked about the sign, he became the sign. Yeah. <coughs> well, it's, Sorry. you know, Jonah is a short book. It's it's just like four chapters. It's And in fact, I think that we, sh- at some point, I would love to do like a sermon series on it. I did a lab on it a number of years ago with, my, with, um, a couple of friends. Um, and I, I really wish we could go back to it because it's such an interesting book, mainly because Jonah is such a jerk. He's, he's the worst prophet out of all of them. <coughs> you okay there? Sorry about that. I am. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't have water for you. Mm-hmm. I think, I think maybe um, our, our camera crew is going to get you water. That's right. So it'd be fantastic. Um, but I mean, Jonah is like the worst prophet. So for, and, and let's be fair to him. Um, you know, there's, there's good reason for it. Um, I talked in, in my sermon, I don't know if you, you mentioned, uh, there's a kind of quite a bit of history about the way that the, um, the Ninevites actually behaved. Um, and so they were bloodthirsty. They were violent. They, uh, they, t- they, in, they, they basically took Israel captive, um, in 722, they conquered the, the 10, 10 Northern tribes Mm -hmm. and they led the people off into captivity with fish hooks. I mean, they were bloodthirsty. There's a a number, there was a, I I saw this, this was an Assyrian war bulletin from King Ashurnazirpal the first, obviously not King Ashurnazirpal the second, that would be (laughs) foolish, but King Ashurnazirpal, he said this, he said, this is just to give you a picture for how the Assyrians behaved. I slew 260 men. I cut off their heads. I made pyramids of their heads. I slew ev- one of every two. So he's very Thanosy. I built a wall before the great gates of the city. I flayed the men of the rebels and I covered the wall with their skins. Some of them were enclosed alive in the bricks of the wall and some were crucified on stakes along the wall. This is a bloodthirsty, awful empire. And there's like pictures of King Asher Nazarpal, like inscriptions of him, like, using a spear to put out people's eyes and like leading people away. And Assyrian empire went all the way from Egypt over up through Turkey, all the way down to the Persian Gulf. It was a massive empire. Um, so that is Nineveh. That's, and that's, that's the place God is pursuing. 
Yeah. So I, the best example I could give is uh, earlier this year, my, my daughter is in 10th grade history, right? And she had to read Night by Elay Wiesel, uh, which is a recounting of a Jewish man's um, experiences through, holo- the, through the Holocaust. And my, my daughter's, ex- her experience with the Nazi empire through that book was one of like deep horror. She's deeply empathic. It's, it's horror. It's hatred. These are the worst of humanity. This is the worst that humanity can go. And then being called to go to Berlin mm-hmm. in Nazi Germany and call the, the German Nazis to repent. That's what Jonah's basically asked and, to and do. And Jonah knows that God is compassionate. Yeah. And he knows that he's going to, he knows that he's compassionate. And to be honest, he doesn't want that. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit like to quote another work of literature, which is not nearly as good. Uh, a time to kill uh, by John Grisham. Uh, there's a moment where uh, one of the main characters um, he's asked about the the assailants of his daughter, and he's like, "What what do you want them to die?" He's like, "Yeah, I hope they die, and I hope they burn in hell." Yeah. That's kind of yep. that's his attitude. That's that's his. This is this is what I see both in the Book of Jonah about the character of God. He's pursuing both a nation that is so evil, and he's pursuing. Um, uh, Jonah, who's, who's so uh, obstinate, yeah, who's, who's who's going away. So he's a, he's a pursuing God. He's yeah. relentlessly pursuing us. Number two, he 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 loves those who listens and obeys. Yeah, right. So so the the people in Nineveh they listened and they obeyed, and he loved them. Right. Well, he, even before that in the story, I, I love this part where the so. He flies away, or flies away. I mean, he basically gets on a ship and goes in the completely opposite direction. He's going to Spain, yeah, yeah. and he's supposed to be going north of Israel. So he's on a boat, and a big storm comes, and the sailors are scared because they know that this boat's going to destroy them, and they're praying to their gods fervently. And office, it's kind of funny. It's yeah. almost funny. Um, he says, um, Jonah had gone below deck. Yeah. He fell into a deep sleep. And the captain's like, how can you sleep? Get up and call in your God. Maybe he'll take notice. Maybe we all won't die. And then the, and the sailor said, let's cast lots to find out who's responsible. Because the sailors are like, well, somebody on here made somebody mad. Yeah, yeah. That was their theology. And the cast lots and they all fell on no, uh, Jonah. So they said, what, what did you do? And he's like, well... I'm he. I love this line. I'm Hebrew. I worship the Lord Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth, who made the sea and the dry land. And they're like, "What have you done?" <laughs> he's like, "Well, I ran away." And they're like, "Ha ha!" So what they do is he's like, "What should we do to calm yeah. down your God?" Yeah. And then he says, "Throw me out. Throw me in the ocean." Yeah. And and they actually refuse to do it. They're being kind. Yeah, exactly. They they, they yeah. actually pray. Right. And they and they they like um they do their best to row to the land, but they can't. And then they cry out to the Lord. I love this. They cry out to the Lord. Please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. Uh-huh. For you, Lord, have done as you please. Like, we're trying to follow you. Like, we don't know who you are. But please, like, do you see the humility of these sailors? Yeah, it's right. insane. It's bananas. Yeah. And they throw him off. And now he's as good as dead, right? Yeah. Yeah. So God loves the people who listens. They're behaving more morally than Jonah is exactly. like they have more reference for God than and, he does. And, and there's one last thing that I, I see in God's character in uh, about God's character in Jonah is that he is compassionate to all. He, he oh, was man. basically telling to Jonah yeah. that, listen, yeah, I know you don't like this nation. I know that they're enemy, but look, there are 140,000 people or 20,000 or some people and their animals. He Like he even cares for their economy. Oh, you're talking about the final end. The um, final, yeah. So the final contract, let me just read it just because right. it's, it's really beautiful. 
Um, where is it? Oh, he Lost yes. Horse. Um, so he, Jonah goes. He he preaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he gets rescued by a whale. A whale comes and swallows him, or a, a giant fish, whatever, a big animal. He spit up on the shore, which would have taken a, a couple days. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a long voyage. Yeah. He then travels. He preaches. They repent. The pe- mm-hmm. the Ninevites, mm-hmm. the evil Nazi empire. Mm-hmm. They repent, mm-hmm. and he's furious at God. Right. Because he knows it means that they've escaped destruction. And what does he want? He wants them to be destroyed, right? And then God says, um, <laughs> and then Jonah throws a pity party. I'm so angry. I wish I were dead. And the Lord said, you've been concerned about the plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. Mm-hmm. It grew up overnight and it died overnight. He's talking about there was this, he was in the middle of the desert or in the hot sun. God causes a giant bamboo plant or whatever to 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 grow root and then give him shade and then it dies and he's so mad he could die. Mm-hmm. And he says, you were concerned about this plant, although it you didn't tend it, you didn't grow it. Mm-hmm. It grew up overnight and died overnight. Should I not, and then this line, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? There are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left mm-hmm. and also many animals. <laughs> that's right. how the book ends. Right. And that 120,000 people who can't tell their right from their left, a lot of commentators say that's like kids mm-hmm. who are you know so young they don't know their right hand from their left hand. Like So three, four, five. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, do, do any of your yep. kids know their left and right yet? I don't think so. Okay, so see? so it's those. Yeah. And then he's like, and also many animals. And he calls it a great city. He mm-hmm. said, there's a, a lot of beautiful things in here, and you mm-hmm. can't see it, Jonah. But that needs to be redeemed, and Jonah is, uh, God is sending Jonah as a sign to help them to understand this compassionate, loving God. In the same way, Jesus is telling in this passage that something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Solomon is here. You guys are not seeing it, but you will. You will see it. And um, I think so the question that we, I need to ask is, uh, that am I living by the power of that sign, the greatest sign that is given to us, that is resurrection, every single day of my life. I do think, like Micah, I'm ending my sermon like that, uh, in Micah he says, you know, uh, 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 what can we do? And the answer is walk, uh, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. I think if we do that in a polarized, hurting community, Act justly, love mercy, consistently love, not just love like the world, the way lo- the world loves, but consistently, and walk humbly, you would be a sign, you know, something like a, a compassion in action. That's what is needed. If you do that, the folks here will see um, w- the source of true lightness, and that is Jesus. And I think so that's, that's the action item for me and for you and for us as a church. Yeah, it reminds me of the fact that even all the way back in the garden, we're called to be Selim, the image of God. Mm-hmm. And Selim were statues placed on the edges of a, a kingdom to remind everyone they look like the king. They were like statues of the likeness of the king mm-hmm. to say, here's the boundary and here's whose land this is. And God says, don't make those because he already has them. He, it's you and I. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to look like God mm-hmm. and be his representatives. Mm-hmm. And to be walking signs, mm-hmm. I guess, of his, not only the, the miraculous power of what he's done in our hearts and lives, but also what he can do for anyone. Yeah. I and mean, he, he cares. Here's the thing. We think that, okay, we are in this community because God has given us, I don't know, a job to take care of a family, whatnot. You're saying in this community, the Bay Area. Bay Area, Santa Clara County. Yes. Two million people who live here, right? 
And just like Nineveh, I mean, God loves these people here. He, it's a cluster of his image. You, you can see all kind of negatives here, but God sees positive, good things. I mean, there is positive stuff. There two trillion dollar companies in this area. Two trillion. There is no other place in the world that has two trillion dollar companies. Yes, this is a great city. It's a great city. And the Warriors were from here. Exactly. Are from here. So forty nine. And used to be the A's. So <laughs> I mean, yes, it's a great city, right? Yeah. And God has compassion now. I think God has called you and I, who have experienced the power of resurrection in our lives, to be here to be that sign so that others can also see the compassion of this great God. Yeah, to be anti-Jonas. Mm-hmm. Because something, and I love how Jesus doesn't say someone greater mm-hmm. than Jonah, although he could have, mm-hmm. and he, it, that is true. Something, meaning it's not just that Jesus is here, it's all the stuff that he's doing, all the lives that he's changing, all the miracles. The kingdom of God is breaking in where Jesus is, mm-hmm. and it's not just, it's like all the things that God's doing. Yeah. And uh, that's just a beautiful, a beautiful picture. Yeah. So let's be like Jonah. No, let's not be like Jonah. Let's be the opposite of Jonah or like Jesus. Uh, yeah, let's be like, actually at some point Jonah got it Yeah, because he wrote yeah. the story. I mean, who, who else could write the story you know, the, that makes Jonah look so bad unless Jonah eventually woke up and saw the Jesus goodness of, actually uses the example of Jonah. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Cool. So, all right. Well, thanks Finney for that. And, um, yeah, thanks for joining us everybody. And, yeah. uh, we're, we're going to, I think we're, are we finally done with the conflict in Jesus? I, well, yeah, for 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 a chapter. <laughs> for back. a chapter, it's going to start up again in thir- uh, fourteen. 14 yeah. Oh boy. Mm. Yep. Oh well, at least we got a brief reprieve. Right. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody, and we'll see you next week. All right. Just want to say thanks to Finney Abraham for stopping by. Join us next week where Steve Clifford and I will be delving in to the next passage of Matthew, where Jesus gets into parables. It's story time. Story time with Jesus much less contentious than the passage we've been in in Matthew 12. So join us for that as we get into Jesus's parables. And there's a whole mess of them. It's going to be a lot of fun. So see you next week.